Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and open the word. We ask that you lead and guide and, and help us to see what you'd have us to see. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to try to finish, well, no, we're not going to finish this sentence. I already planned that we weren't going to finish this sentence because I had a feeling Debbie would go over, so I <laughs> planned a shorter time, so. But we're going to do one, one verse, but we are going to read the whole sentence, starting at verse uh, 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might of his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. And we're going to look at verse 17. That God may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. You know, this is kind of an interesting statement. The word dwell here, there's two words for dwell in Greek, and this one happens to mean permanently dwell. God dwells permanently in our hearts by faith. And I want to bring that up because there's so many people out there that want to say, well, I just don't know if once you're saved, you're always saved. Well, I can tell you that once you're saved, you're always saved. <laughs> because I start reading in the Greek and I see the tenses and the words in there that say, when he's there, He's there. And the fact that he tells us that once we accept Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, doesn't, means that we have eternal life. Okay? It doesn't mean that at some point in the point he's going to say, well, no, nope, you did so many things bad, we're going to take this away from you. God's grace is wonderful. Now, there are many people that may not be saved who think they're saved. <laughs> you know, and that is where Debbie's experience comes in you know, from her testimony this morning. She said all the right, she was presented all the right things. She was told what to say. She said the words, not knowing what the words meant. And we've talked about this a lot. You know, the, the sinner's prayer is not a magic spell that you say this prayer and all of a sudden, you know, a lightning flashes in the sky and you're changed to a Christian. Now, they are the right words. We've talked about that. Yes, I am a sinner. The unfortunate thing is many people who say that prayer don't really believe they're a sinner. You know, they go, well, uh, I'm mostly good. <laughs> I'm just going to say this just in case so I'll go to heaven and not, and not hell. But, uh, but I'm, a, I'm a good person. And this is what a lot of people will do. I'm a good person. You know, if you ever do share the gospel with people, usually when you ask, her, are you going to go to heaven? Oh, yeah, why? Well, I do. I'm mostly a good person. Uh, we've talked about it often. God doesn't grade on a scale. He doesn't put our sins and goodness on a scale and, and weigh them out. He says... You've sinned. That's, all, that's it. You sinned, you're, 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 you're punished. People have to understand that first. Then they have to understand that the punishment for that sin is hell. And we've talked about it. You can have a perfect life and have one sin and you deserve hell. And our job is, when we witness is to get people to understand what they deserve. One of the things I hear people say, I just want what I deserve from God. No, you don't. If you've ever said that, don't say it again. Right. You know, we don't want what we deserve from God. We want his grace. We want his mercy. <laughs> because if we got what we deserved, it wouldn't be him. It wouldn't be heaven. And then we teach people Jesus paid for it. 
He paid for the sin. And then we accept that gift and we're saved. And once you're saved, you're saved. Now, that doesn't mean that we go out and we sin just because we can. Because if we're saved, the Holy Spirit's going to be in us saying, what do you think you're doing? And he's going to make us miserable. So this is, this is the first part of this. Jesus dwells in our hearts. That could be a kind of scary thought. Think about some of the things you do in your day-to-day day -day action. And think about this. Everything you do, say, watch, Jesus is right there with you. Not only is he with you, the Holy Spirit's with you. And it says, the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth in him, so we have God also, the Father, in us, in everything we do. I'm going to wait for a moment on that. Just think about that truth. We know that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But he's also, we take him with us everywhere we go as well. He sees everything we do. I've talked to people who, you know, that said, I'm talking to them, well, why are you doing what they, well, I'm just uh, trying to be myself, you know. Well, would you do it if your mom or dad, mom was watching? Oh, no, I wouldn't do it if mom was, you know God's watching you. <laughs> but a lot of people don't really truly believe that God is with them all the time. Because if you're doing something that you wouldn't let somebody else know, <laughs> you're not really believing that God is watching. I don't know how many people have ever done something. You know you're sinning, you know it's wrong, and you know that you didn't, really wouldn't want your kids to know or your, your husband or wife to know, and you're going, well, if they knew I was doing this, I would, they wouldn't be happy. God's watching you. I'm, you should be more concerned with him watching. But we look at this, and it says, Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. And then we're going to go, and we are rooted and grounded in love. You know what makes Christianity so wonderful is that relationship with God, that relationship of love. Not the things that I do. And if you've been in church, you've been a Christian long enough, you've found yourself wrapped up at some point in your, in your life, wrapped up in doing. I've got to do the right things. You know, whether you consciously or unconsciously, you get wrapped up in, I've got to go to church. You know, well, I love going to church. I always have loved going to church. And I've never really felt of it as a, I must go. I love to go. But I've met lots of people who come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, anytime the doors are open, there's a revival. They're there all, all the days of the revival. But they're doing it out of obligation, not because they're looking for God. I love coming to church for two reasons. Number one, I'm going to hear a message from my pastor where I'm going to learn something if he's speaking by, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the primary reason. The secondary reason is I love being with God's people. <laughs> I love being with God's people. I used to do very little travel, but I used to love if I had to be away on a weekend, I could go to a church and I'd be with God's people. <laughs> I was with family, even not being with family. Because we are a family. And this is talking about being rooted and grounded in love. That means established. Having roots that are deep. And we want to look just for a moment at what is love. So we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, which if anybody knows the Bible well, that's the, that's the chapter of the love chapter. And we're going to look at verses 4, and we're going to kind of go through and see what love is and kind of dig down into some of those words. Verse 4, love suffers long and is kind, love envies not, love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, 
does not behave itself unseemly, seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. We're well, gonna look at some of these words just to go in. First one says, love suffers long. <laughs> it's patient. Long suffering. When things are being done, doesn't fly off the handle. <laughs> I, I don't know how many of you are like me with uh, patience sometimes is a virtue that I don't always have. <laughs> you know, lo love is something that says we're going to be patient. We're going to put up with, and long suffering indicates that a part not, is a little above patience. It is sometimes people trying to get you mad. Have you ever had family members trying to push your buttons? <laughs> you know, now I don't know why we do it, but we all do it. <laughs> you know, just, you know, let's push this button. I just want to see them mad for a little while. You know, crazy, because then you don't like it when they get mad, but <laughs> we do the things that upset other, other people in the family. And our, we all know that in our families, we know exactly what to do to make them upset. Love doesn't do that. <laughs> Love is not going to do that. It says, love is kind, is very, is kind. Love envies not. We use the word envy, but envy literally means to be upset at somebody else's blessings. <laughs> I didn't get blessed, they did, I'm mad at them. <laughs> because they got blessed. When you say it that way, it sounds a little silly, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, I'm not happy that they got got blessed by God because I didn't get what I thought I needed or I wanted that blessing or I wanted the promotion that they got. That's envy. Love doesn't envy. Love wants them to be <laughs> promoted. And this is why Christians can be excited when we're living in the spirit. Somebody gets blessed and we get excited for them. You know, we may not understand why they got blessed and we didn't, but we're going to be excited. They got a blessing, whatever that blessing might be, because they've just got it. It might just be a grace gift. They may not even have deserved it as far as we're concerned, but we still want to say, I am happy for you and mean it. <laughs> not just say the words. <laughs> but love doesn't envy. Now this is a picture of perfect, pure love. None of us are ever going to get this perfect, pure love in our lifetime. But it is a, the goal we need to strive for as we look and let God live in us. It says that it does not vaunt itself up. Now, in the, in the Greek, this word literally says employing rhetoric to embellish or in extolling ourselves exceedingly. In other words, it's one thing to be proud of who you are and say, you know, you know, I've been a very good manager all my life. I can get the job done as long as you can prove that that's what you've done. And that is where I have been in my life. I've managed restaurants and I'm a very good manager. That's not vaunting, but if I go, well, if you just saw all the stores that I did, you know, I make this, uh, and I add numbers to it and talk about things I haven't done, then it's no longer what, what is good. It is vaunting ourselves up, making myself look really good. And, you know, we all tend to do that, don't we? You know, you didn't just make the best cookies in the, you know, cookie, uh, cake in the fair. You made the best cookie, the best cake that's ever been there for a century. You know, uh, so we look at that and it says, love does not vaunt itself up. Love does not try to make yourself look better than you are. And you know, for us as Christians, that should be an easy thing anyway. Because if we really understood ourselves the way God would see us if he didn't see us through the blood of Christ, 
is as totally worthless. And we've talked about this many times. You know, even the good things that we do, Isaiah tells us, is filthy rags. So when somebody says, I'm going to go stand before God and I'm going to show him all the good things I did. Well, wonderful. You're going to go stand in rags in front of God and say, let me into your heaven. That's not going to work. That is not going to work. And we as Christians have to be careful that we don't get in the mindset, I've got to do a bunch of good things so God will like me more. God loves us completely. He doesn't love us any more today than he did when we first became saved. And he doesn't love us any more today than, than when we were born and, and living in sin. He loves us. Now we're forgiven. We're going to be blessed. We're going to have lots of grace gifts because of accepting Christ. But he doesn't love us anymore. He loves completely. And that's what he's expecting us as Christians, to love one another. Not love because somebody's being nice to us. <laughs> Not even love because they come to the church. This love has to come outside the church doors, outside of this group. We need to love the people that we come in contact with. And some of them are not lovable. Some of us in this building aren't lovable <laughs> at certain times. And all of us know that that's true. No matter how good or nice most people are, there are times when they're just in a bad mood and it's very hard to love them. That is when God says, I want you to love them still. Can you imagine Jesus, if he had reacted to the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the world, uh, the way the world treats him? Well, goodbye, you're gone. <laughs> he had the power to do that. He was God. All he had to do was unthink that person and they'd been gone. You know, hit the delete key, they're gone, you no longer exist. But he loves. And he's slow to anger. And when you think about how slow God is to anger, you know, think about that. He let Canaan go for 430 years before he judged them for all their sin and sent the Israelites into the promised land to judge them. 430 years. <laughs> he gave Judah over 400 years <laughs> to keep right with them before he judged them and sent them into captivity. How many of us can stay patient with people for four years? <laughs> now, much less 400. God is so patient. He is, this verse really is talking about God and what we're supposed to be looking to be. God doesn't vaunt himself up, but he does tell us who he is. He does share that with us. It says that not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly. Have you ever been there where you've done something you know is wrong and you, know, you just want to misbehave or whatever, look bad? The world is real good at looking at Christians and you know, the world has a view of Christianity that we're supposed to be perfect. And we know that the world's view of Christianity is, is way, way too high. The sad thing is most Christians, because we know we're forgiven, we have a picture of Christianity that may be way, way too low. I'm forgiven. It's not that big a deal. God, God's going to forgive me. Well, yes, that is true. But, he says, I want to crucify your flesh. I want you to live according to the Spirit, living out of you. We should be living at a much higher level than most of us desire to. Most of us like to sin. You know, to be honest, if we're honest, we're going to say we like to sin. If we didn't like it, we wouldn't do it. <laughs> now, it's plain. If we didn't like sinning, we wouldn't do it. Now, 
Uh, if you don't like a particular food, you're not going to eat that food, especially as adults. <laughs> we might have made our kids eat it. We might have been made to eat it as a kid. But when we get to be an adult, we're not going to eat the food we don't like. Same thing with sin. If we didn't enjoy some part of sin, we wouldn't do it. This is why in Galatians 2.20, we're told, I am crucified with Christ. He wants to crucify our flesh, the desires to sin. And the hard part about that is, and we've talked about this, you'll never be perfect. You'll never get rid of all those sins. Even when God actually gets rid of a sin in your life, there's something else there. You know, and you see something else. And he gets rid of that, and you see something else. And then I think sometimes the older we get with Christ, you know, when we start out with as a Christian, we really don't think we're that sinful because we get rid of all the, the big sins in our life, you know, the ones that everybody sees. You know, you know, people look at you and go, you're a pretty good person. You've got it all. And then Jesus starts showing you, well, I want to get rid of this attitude and this thought and, and this desire that you have. And you're going, uh, you start really realizing I am more sinful than I ever thought. And the more light God shines on our life, the more we see we're sinful. <laughs> and we start seeing how really sinful we are instead of where we started at. You know, we hopefully knew we were sinners when we said that prayer, but God shows us you've got a lot of problems. <laughs> you've got a lot of issues in your life. And we start to really realize that without him, we can't get rid of them. We cannot get rid of them without him. It goes on to say that it doesn't rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in truth. One of the things you see in the world is how often people get excited when somebody has something bad happen to them. You know, especially if they thought they deserved it. Yeah. We as Christians have a hard part with that too, don't we? Somebody's been mistreating us, you know, making fun of us for being a Christian, and all of a sudden they have an accident on the road, and our first thought is the flesh's thought, thank you, God, you got, you got them. That's not a loving thought. The loving thought is, I better go see them, see if there's something I can do to help them. That's what is out there. We, and the world rejoices often in, in, in iniquity and bad. How many movies have the people gone in and, and to, they get their revenge on the person and they blow up everything and they kill everybody and they're the hero? <laughs> no. That's not a biblical picture of the hero. <laughs> Now, that is a world's fleshly view, you know, rejoicing in iniquity. I did wrong, but got a, what I think might be a good result. We don't want, the love doesn't do that. Love is not going to rejoice. It does, it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. And this is kind of, we're back into this long suffering. Bears all things. It puts up with. It puts up with people. This is true love. Think about how much God bears with us. Yeah. When we're supposed to be doing something, and we tell him, well, I don't think I'm going to do that, God. I'm going to do my own thing. And he goes, no, I want you to do this. And you argue with him for a while. Don't argue with God. He wins. <laughs> Eventually, he wins. Uh, may take him a couple of years sometimes, but he will win. So you want to get into the place where you agree quickly with God. And it goes, it, it says it believes all things. Now, this belief is not going to be that I'm going to believe everything that I'm, that I'm told without thinking it through. <laughs> but, you know, the world says that when somebody's been into, into prison or jail, that they're always, always bad. That's the way the world looks at them. Uh, if they've 
in the case of the, the babies, if they've had an abortion, then they're always bad because of that, that particular event. You know. And then you get people coming into church, they get saved. <laughs> and if people know them, they have to separate that person from who they think they are. Well, this person's always been a liar. They're going to be a liar the rest of their life. Well, who knows? Maybe God can change them. And yes, he can change them, not just maybe can. But he can and does. And yet churches will look at somebody and say, well, this person's been a thief, a liar, a murderer, whatever it might be. I'm not sure we can trust them. Once we're saved, we're a new creation. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we're not going to fail in those areas. But we need to believe that people can change. And it's critical for us to believe that they can change because if you treat somebody as if they are something still, they'll become that person. They'll meet your expectation. Self-fulfilling prophecies happen because you believe that it's going to happen. And I can tell you it's true. When I would hire employees, if I had an employee that I thought was just going to be a fill-in, not really good, most of the time they were just a fill-in, not very good. If I looked at somebody and I'm going, I think this person's going to be a great person in this job, most of the time they were a great person in that job. And I don't think I was that good. I mean, I was good at picking people, but I don't think I was that good <laughs> for it to always be true. But I know that in, unconsciously I treated one person a lot better and gave them the benefit of the doubt and trained them a little more. And, and the other person, I go, well, this is what I expected. I'm not going to worry about it. We can do the same thing with the people in our church. Well, they're just, you know, I'm not sure they really got saved. <laughs> You know, they're just, gonna, they're just here so they can try to take us for, for all that they can get from us. Well, you know what? If you want to believe that, you'll probably see them do that. We need to learn to love people. Give them the benefit of the doubt. I love to take and say, I don't want to know people after the flesh. I don't want to know, you know, I don't know, want to know what they've done in the past. If they're still that way, then God will show it to me. And you know, we have a great God in front of us. We sang that song, Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world, God will protect you even if you're thinking good about people. He's going to be the one that protects us. He's going to be the one that puts that little check in your spirit all of a sudden and says, be careful. Be careful. And you may not even know why. I've had people wanting to do things here in this church and I've gone, you know, I don't see any reason why not to, but there's this voice in the back of my head saying, don't. And then a few days later, I will understand why God said don't. Very important that we listen. God will speak to us all the time. He will guide us as Christians. He will lead us. He will tell us things. And whether it's a voice, literal voice or a feeling or whatever it might be, God speaks in our life because we have a relationship with him. I've said it before. Christianity is different from every other religion because it's not religion. Religion is man's rules trying to reach God. Christianity is a relationship with the God who reached down to us and paid the price. We have a relationship with him. We don't have a bunch of rules we have to follow. Now, we will start following rules as he works in our heart and tells us what to do and what not to do, but it is not rules designed to get us approval from God. And the last couple of things to say, because we're going over on time. It says bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And I just remember, hope is not this way we use it in English. It's like maybe, maybe possibly will. Hope in, in the Bible is a confident assurance. I am confidently assured that God's going to be keeping me. And we, we hope, hope that in all things. 
endures all things. Love never fails. And we just want to look at love never fails. So we have a description of love. And this is agape love. It is God's love, unconditional love. Or as I've said before, it is objective love. And I love it that God's love is objective. He said he's going to love us. And because he said he's going to love us, he is going to love us. And the only way that he would not love us is for him to decide not to love us. And God never changes, so he will not not love us. And this is important. You know, when I do counseling for people that want to get married, I first off make sure they understand what love is. Why do you love this person? You know, and it's important for us to understand why do we love somebody. We, and the only good answer is I, I choose to love that person. Because if we're loving on infatuation or lust or desire, that love is only as good as, as the infatuation and the lust and the desire stand still or, or remains. But when we choose to love somebody, the only way we're not going to love them is if we choose not to love them. Now, we as humans may choose not to love somebody at, at some other time, but God says we're to love one another. Not out of emotion, not out of, not out of you know, anything else, but because he says love them, choose to love. And if you think about that, that's a good way for, to love somebody. Because you can remind yourself when they're, when they're doing things, trying to make you mad, trying to, trying to upset you, trying to help you get away from what it is, you chose to love them. And if people have relationships based on chosen love, they have to make a conscious effort to say, I don't love this person. And when we hear that from the world, of course they don't love them because they really never loved them in the first place. They were infatuated. They were uh, in lust, whatever other terms you want to use. They really weren't in love. So they were right when they say they didn't ever love them. They didn't. They used the wrong term. But when we as Christians choose to love somebody, it is a choice. And we need to keep that choice going forward. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank for the opportunity we've had to come before you. Lord, number one, if anybody is not a Christian in this room, we ask that you put it on their heart to admit to you that they're a sinner, that they deserve punishment, and that they are going to accept your gift. And we just ask them to say that, say that commit, commitment to you. Lord, for those of us who are Christians in this room, we ask that we make a commitment to be loving choose to love and love the way you show and to ask you to help us to love in that way. And we just thank you. We ask you to go with us as we leave today in your son's precious name. Amen.